Welcome to episode 1129 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Had a nice uh, nice morning nap and woke up to some good news for uh, us, uh, yeah. me. And so, you know, I, you know, I had a poor night of sleep. I was telling you off air, I, I'm flying to New Orleans for work tomorrow morning. So tomorrow I have to wake up at 4.15 in the morning. But today I woke up at 4.15. I'm like, this is garbage. But got some writing done. I was like, okay, I'll go back to sleep. Then I woke up and a bunch of messages on my phone. I'm like, what is this all about? And so logged in. I'm like, oh, look at that. So, Justin, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, we uh, we got nominated for uh, Best Podcast uh, once again. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm always excited to get a nomination. You got nominated for Best Research Article of the Year. Jason, what article was that? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, we'll have to ask Clay Link, who probably submitted the – because. Uh, he usually does this. I I don't think I've ever self-submitted. I may have submitted the podcast back in the day, but I think that's it. I've never looked at an article and said that. That said, you know, these things do mean a lot. I will show you. I do keep my previous two awards on my desk from this was the best baseball series in 18 and fantasy baseball writer of the year way back in 13. So I do keep these things. I would love for them to get some company. We never did get the one. Either Paul's yeah. hoarding it, or they didn't make one that year. But the year I think I think, I think Paul's hoarding it. Yeah, I think Paul's I hoarding it, probably on his yeah. desk. Right. Mm-hmm. So th- these two little guys would love some company, uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll fingers crossed. I got two chances, and we'll see what happens this year. Yeah, it's always uh, it is always a honor to be nominated. Uh, I mean, this is like probably our 10th year in a row being nominated for uh for best podcast so you want to um, talk about a grouping though my goodness you see the names that are in that podcast group it's a fantastic uh group uh of podcasters that obviously include like rates and barrels rotowire um a new one uh oh, i'm blanking on name i don't want to i don't want to mess carlos it up. yeah carlos marcano and uh uh christopher torres both of who have been on uh, this podcast. So, uh, you know, uh, they have, it's called fantasy baseball beat, um, obviously pitcher list, uh, with Alex fast and, uh, and Nick Pollock, um, and then FTN ba- fantasy baseball with, uh, our good friends, Matt Davis and, uh, Vlad Sedler have both been on the pod. So, uh, congratulations to all of them. Congratulations to everybody who's been nominated, uh, for any sort of article or podcast or video, um, I submitted the podcast that Paul and I did uh, where he had a bird come into his house and was like a, some sort of pigeon or something flying around his house. And I did a, a play-by-play because we were live on the air. So um, I hope everybody enjoyed that episode because that's what we got nominated for. Uh, joining us today <laughs> joining us today is a special guest. It's Daniel Preciado. Daniel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Daniel, why don't you remind everybody where you reach on social media and talk about what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Dan J. Preciado. Um, so I'm currently a sport analytics student at Syracuse University, but I've been in and around the uh, fantasy industry for a while. I actually started writing about fantasy baseball when I was 13 years old. So it's always been a passion of mine. Um, I'm not writing anywhere now. Uh, no, no outlets right now, but I'm sure once I graduate, I'll be getting back into it. Well, definitely go follow Daniel on Twitter, and we really appreciate you joining us here. Uh, and we're going to talk uh, some news and notes, and then we're just going to kind of quickly go through the UT-only player pool um, uh, this uh, this year, because uh, Paul and I are going to kind of deep dive in the positions, but they always we always forget guys because it's you you know they, they're UT-only. They didn't play enough games at any particular position to qualify. Now some of them will qualify at other positions in uh, formats like Yahoo. Um, but I thought it'd be good for us to kind of uh, dive into them a little bit. Let's start with some of the big news of the week. Um, and that was Toronto. The Toronto Blue Jays are changing the dimensions of their park uh, to make it a little bit more hitter friendly. Since adding the humidor, it's played a lot more um, kind of neutral. Uh, but these new dimensions are going to change things uh, quite a bit for hitters. Uh, Daniel, what are your thoughts? Are there any hitters or pitchers that are really going to either benefit or uh, take a big hit from this? Yeah, definitely. So the one guy that I see in particular that had an insane fly ball rate, just a, you know, just a hair under 50% was Danny Jansen. 
Um, I was already in on him. I think he's kind of a discount version of like Wilson Contreras, um, 100 picks later. Um, so I, I'm in there. I think he's got the power. I think he has the power to hit 30 bombs this year. So, you know, I, I'm in. What about you, Jason? Uh, always good to hear Danny Jansen talk. Uh, he's This is also his walk year. Don't forget he's a free agent after this year. Uh, so, you know, he is, since the uh, Jays traded Moreno, uh, you know, what, how are they, what's the next uh, phase for this? Uh, you know, one of the things you look, I saw somebody else uh, mention Matt Chapman uh, as somebody because yeah. he has a lot of opposite field fly balls. You know, when I looked yesterday, I ran a baseball savant. I said, give me all the batted ball events to right field that had an estimated distance of the old distance to the new distance. And I it came up with 25 batted balls. Uh, now, yeah, I didn't do everything, but that was just, you know, show it, show it to me. Uh, if you look at some of the pictures that are on, uh, I think it's Scott Mitchell's Twitter feed. Uh, he has some pictures about it and you can kind of, get a feel for what the dimensions are going to look like. As I you know, mentioned to you in the, in the text thread last night, Justin, uh, you know, it talked about, it looks like the Yankee stadium short porch distance with the Camden yards courtyard feel to it. Like the wall is up. Uh, the, if you look at the pictures in Scott's Twitter feed, you know, it, it shows um, there's actually a person standing uh, on the field. There's a couple of work trucks and the walls at least double a work truck. So if you think about standing next to a moving truck and do that, so that's what it looks like. The The perplexing thing to me is if they were going to do this, why did they go and trade the offense that they did and bring in these rangy outfielders if you were going to shrink the distance of the thing anyways? Why not just keep Teoscar Hernandez? I mean, the, the, the swap that they did – and getting Varsho certainly helps cushion some of that, but going from a Teoscar Hernandez to a Kevin Kiermeyer, trust me, that dude can't hit. You know, that's a it, it get all that defense if you're going to shrink the field like that. Apparently, they're going to make the the wall height and center field uh, a single digit number in some spots, so Kiermeyer could actually rob a home run because he is phenomenal defense. Um, but they're, they're talking about changing the wall heights, especially down the lines. Uh, so, you know, it will be interesting to see what kind of influence this could uh, this has uh, with that. You know, most of the focus has been like, oh, hey, look at the hitters. Uh, but what about those poor pitchers? I mean, Alec Manoa already had a lot of, yeah, you know, there, there were some issues to be worried about a little bit with Manoa, obviously with Jose Barrios type of thing. And now all of a sudden Toronto pitchers, maybe you want to fade them just a bit because the run environment uh, at their home park is going to be just as rough as it's been for them at Yankee Stadium now. So we're looking at, uh, you know, anywhere they have six, so 87 road games with that kind, and then you throw in Camden. So that's not, you know, not 87 road games, but in, in total, the road games at Camden, uh, with, towards right field at least, and, and center field, the road games at Yankee Stadium, and now the home games at Rogers Center, uh, that's some, that's some unfriendly environments to pitch to. So, uh, again, this would have been nice news to know a couple of months ago uh, before we started getting into uh, in draft season. But at least it's not heavy draft season um, with this. But this was certainly kind of out of the blue. At least with Baltimore, we knew about it because we talked about it in Arizona Fall League last year. Now mm -hmm. it's like we're going to be able to sneak it in the first pitch Florida for those of us that will be there. Uh, and, but, you know, Derek Carty was saying yesterday he hasn't had – he's waiting for the wall heights because that's the that's the number we don't have yet. And so the bat can't run those particular numbers because it doesn't know what the wall heights are yet. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm kind of waiting with bated breath on for the pitchers especially. I think Matt Chapman is a name that I've seen uh, that should benefit a lot from this because uh, of his power to kind of out the center. Um, Bo Bichette is another yeah. guy who actually should benefit – um, a fair amount from this. I think Danny Jansen, I think you guys are both right. I think he's a really good option. Um, but I'm really worried about my Alec Manoa shares. I mean, he's a guy who puts the ball in the air a little bit more than like a Kevin Gosman. Um, and so I'm I'm a little worried about that. I've been kind of high, comparatively speaking, uh, to other people in the industry on Manoa. And so I've got him in a lot of leagues. Um, I'm going to kind of pump the brakes a little bit until we get a little bit more data and kind of see what, you know, programs like the bat and others kind of adjust for, uh, because, you know, Derek was like spot on when it came to the Baltimore stuff. Yeah, he was. He out and he, he said exactly, Hey, this is what it's going to probably do. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, oh, it's too hard to know, but he was pretty spot on. So 
Uh, I think these are one of the uh, opportunities where I can go. Um, I'm going to defer to people a little bit smarter than me and let them do the math for me. And then I'll adjust my rankings and projections accordingly. So, yeah, exactly. There's a reason why he's has the best hair in, ba- in fantasy baseball. Uh, and he's got, a, he's got a pretty good brain underneath all that hair, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about a big trade that kind of happened. Um, we've been talking for uh, quite a while that uh, the Marlins ha- were probably going to trade a starting pitcher at some point. Pablo Lopez has been a name that uh, has been kind of bandied about for quite a while. And the Twins were a location that had been, you know, pretty hot in terms of rumors of, uh, you know, a place that you know, one of those starting pitchers could end up. And so it wasn't a huge surprise that Pablo Lopez was traded to the Twins. Uh, a little surprising that the return was Luis Arise and the Marlins sent over prospects with Pablo Lopez. Daniel, what are your thoughts about Pablo Lopez in Minnesota and Luis Arise in Miami? Yeah, so Pablo Lopez is a guy who was somewhat out on uh, this year at ADP. I, I'm a fan of his. It's just the ADP is kind of a concern for me. But with the move to Minnesota, uh, I think it's it's almost like a neutral thing given his profile. Um, but with Luis Arias, any kind of power that he had to begin with, which wasn't much, is going to be sapped. Um, he he's a guy that I was already out on. I understand that his uh, you know average is a very very key component this year with how bad the league is. League, I guess league wide, two thirty seven league average. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to contribute much. The Marlins lineup is a little bit better than people think, but I don't think it's going to be good enough to warrant his draft cost. Jason, where are you at on Lopez to uh, Minnesota and Arise to uh, Miami? You know, it's it's a little weird for me because Lopez is not a pitcher that I've ever – I don't believe I've even had him on a team. It, it's, it's one of those guys where by the time I've considered taking him, he's already gone – uh, type of situation. Uh, like you said, when you throw in the prospects they had to in this deal, it makes me wonder what the medicals uh, are there with, with Lopez, the fact that Miami had to uh, absorb some things. But then I'm wondering if Miami tipped their hand because you know, I tweeted this out uh, when the trade happened because at the end of September, Miami basically came out and said, we want more high-contact players. They said there was too much swing and miss in their lineup. They wanted to go out and get some more high-contact players. And so they went out and got the highest-contact player there was in baseball last year. I believe he outdid David Fletcher. Uh, but, you know, so they went out and got the guy uh, for that. And so it, Arias should hit leadoff. It's going to get them somebody that can get on base. Uh, so it'll be an interesting how they put that lineup together because it could be a sneaky good lineup. When I was taking a look at it this morning – you know, when you when you look at Arias, you look at Segura, you look at Chisholm if, if the back is 100%, and then somebody's going to hit clean up there. Um, you know, please don't sleep on Jorge Soler coming back. You know, last year he had the problem with the uh, with the the lower back issue and end up having uh, inflamed pelvis. Insert joke here, but he had to have surgery on, on the core, and, and hitting is all about your footwork, your hands, and your core. If any part of that holy trinity isn't functioning, it's going to be it's not going to work well. That said, Solaire still had 99 percentile max exit velocity last year. So even before he got hurt, he was still hitting the ball hard. First year contract, uh, first year big contract in a new place. High wreck in Glencia in Florida. Uh, you know that that was a factor last year. So you factor in that and the injury. But Solaire could end up hitting cleanup behind this. Uh, and so overall, I, I like the trickle down effect uh, of this because Miami needed this type of hitter. Um, in the lineup. And to me, this looks like it's going to be like a go-go Marlin lineup. When you look at the top three there, I could see them, uh, maybe they put Arias second and they have Segura hit and lead off and try to go hit and run and using that. But I could see this being a, a top of the lineup that's in motion quite a bit. Uh, and so maybe Arias hits second instead of first, because that's the one thing he lacks. He doesn't have great, not, not very quick, uh, but Lord, if you're going to run hit and run, there's no other hitter in baseball I'd rather have doing that uh, at the plate than him. Yeah, and I mean, the Marlins may make another move here soon. There's been heavy talk that they're going to add Yuli Gurriel. Um, I mean, I was already out on Arise. You know, I think like Daniel said, like it's I, – I, if I'm going to draft an Arise, like I want to – I want the I want the next one. I don't want to pay for last year's price on him. Um, and I just well, – I loved having him last year. I mean, I was, taking yeah. him the, I was taking him in the 23rd round last year. 
Yeah, you can run around sometimes. And right now, his min pick is 130. That's insanity. Yeah, I just, I, <laughs> you know, and I mean, the Marlins Park isn't a great place to hit. The lineup around him, it's not bad. It's not truly atrocious, but it's not good um, by any stretch of the imagination, especially if, you know, Jazz Chisholm, uh, you know, uh, gets injured again. You know, that obviously uh, would, would take a lot out of that lineup. Yeah, as as especially pop- him moving to center field, that definitely increases the the risk factor of that happening too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, you know, as far as Pablo Lopez goes, I've always been a big Pablo Lopez fan. The problem is the injuries. Like, dude has a really difficult time making it through a whole season. Um, yeah. I, you know, I kind of like this move for him. You know, maybe a little bit lesser of a part, but that defense behind him is going to be really good problem is like i just can't trust him to throw like 150 innings and considering where he's going i want a guy who i feel is pretty i'm pretty confident is going to get to 150 innings or just be elite in 140 uh innings so and it just you know it seems unlikely i'm going to end up with lopez on any teams let's talk about jazz going to center field um does this bump him up or down for you daniel considering outfield's got some pretty bad depth to it this year mm-hmm. yeah i think you make a really good point though about the uh, the risk factor because he is so injury prone i think that's an excellent point um i do think you have to bump him up like you said because of the uh, lack of outfield depth i mean you're able to put him at five additional spots in a five outfielder league so i think i think it's nothing but a boost if he stays healthy i think he could end up as the best second baseman in fantasy baseball this year so I uh, I was in before, and I'm in even more now, knowing that you know he's going to pick up that flexibility. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I love Jazz Chisholm coming into the season. Like like I stated earlier, I worry that uh, you know the increased exposure to injury in center field uh, is going to be a factor. You know, his market before this news. I mean, I'm looking at ADP over the past month in draft champions. He's gone as high as 26. Uh, wow, uh, and but his ADP is 49. So I don't know if there's you know, if anything can go much higher than that, he was, uh, you know, as far as ADP value, I don't know if this trade impacts anything because it was already pretty high. Uh, yeah. But it has, you know, I remember this time last year, the discussion was, is Chisholm a top 100 guy? Uh, and a lot of people were like, eh, yeah, I'd like I recall James Anderson being very aggressive with him. Uh, yeah, I was in line behind him, but I think James was the most aggressive on him. Uh, in that in that regard, with that, I remember listening to him on, on a few podcasts last year talking about that. So I don't know if this really moves the needle for Chisholm at all. I'm just more concerned about the risk factor in center field. Outfield is just more of an injury risk uh, position than second base would be. Yeah, on a per plate appearance basis, like he is an absolute stud. Like if this yeah. was MLB the show and we could turn off injuries, um, he you know, you'd be talking about him as a potential first round pick. Uh, and so that upside is there. I think it really comes down to league context, right? Like if mm-hmm. you are in a, you know, shallow format league where there's a lot of replacement value on the waiver wire and you have IL spots, makes a lot of sense. The deeper you get in the league, the harder it is be- to roster a guy like Chisholm. And now you add him into center field where there's a little bit more chance, he's a brand new position. Um, you know, he's a guy that really throws his body around anyways already on the field. Um, I'm... I'm probably not going to have very many judges on shares just because I tend to play in a little bit more deeper leagues. I am playing in some shallower leagues this year, but um, yeah, I just, the injury risk I think is a little bit too great for me. I'm looking for floor when I'm drafting that high. Um, and I do think that people will start to bump him up their, uh, their board just a little bit because outfield, like I said, is so bad that, uh, you know, it's going to be great for fantasy once he does get outfield eligibility pretty early in the season. So, uh, let's uh, let's move on to uh, some lesser signings. Um, Ramel Tapia and Adam Duvall both signed contracts to go to Boston. Tapia's deal is a minor league deal, so he's not guaranteed uh, a roster spot necessarily. It's invitation to spring training. Um, Jason, do you care about either of these moves? <laughs> Just the Red Sox hating fan of me laughing that this is what their plan is on top of the John Henry saying, you know, Paying players is expensive. Dude's got $10 billion. Shut up. Anywho, uh, I mean, Tapia's there in case – I mean, Adam Duvall is supposed to play center. Uh, yeah, It looks like the Duvall is there for center, and that moves Kika Hernandez back to shortstop since Trevor Story is going to be out most likely, uh, most if not all the season. Uh, and so uh, Tapia is there just in case 
it, it all goes bad. Uh, and and Duval says he it shows that he can't play center field. You know, the good news for those that don't know is uh, JetBlue Park in Fort Myers is an exact replica of Fenway, so they should know pretty quickly uh, how he's going to do the the metrics. Handle you know, Duval should hold his own out there uh, with that, but uh, Toppy is there as as the backup. You would I believe he could still make the roster though. I don't think they're on a complete roster crunch, but uh, it's a little weird looking at their looking at that roster and saying, "Oh, and hey, it's Christian Arroyo. Hey, it's Kiki Hernandez up the middle." And like, who's the next guy? Who else is going to be like the backup to those two guys in the middle infield? So. Duval has shown power uh, and you know, with Fenway, and we saw what uh, Hunter Renfro did as a similar type profile hitter going to that. Anything's possible. Duval's not that far removed from having that big power year, uh, and I would say kind of the same flaws as Hunter Renfro. But it worked out well for Hunter Renfro there, and perhaps it can for Duval too. So, you know, from a fantasy perspective, it's a nice landing spot for him if he can hold up to the rigors of playing center field. All right, Daniel, what do you think? You you interested in either of these guys? Definitely not Tapia, but with Adam Duvall, I think the power's there. Um, having having the green monster for uh, 81 games out of the year is probably going to be a big boost for him just in terms of uh, doubles and picking up RBIs and that kind of thing. But I think that he doesn't really have a, uh, a anything blocking him from playing time. Uh, I really like Masataka Yoshida and Alex Verdugo supplant, or, uh, implanted in right field. But in center field, I mean, if if he can really like lock in in that spot, I think he could, you know, put up some really good counting stats on the year. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to find any time at the DH slot with Justin Turner, but um, in the outfield, his biggest competition is likely Jaron Duran, <laughs> which uh, hasn't worked out real well there. Yeah, so. uh, I'm with you guys. I think Duval is a little bit interesting in, in deeper formats, but yeah, uh, I don't know Tapia. Uh, I don't think this was a great landing spot for him in particular. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk about a role this Chapman. I think Paul and I talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, after the signing, but um, I want to get your guys' thoughts. He signs a one year deal to go to Kansas City, where they have Scott Barlow, who's been kind of one of the safer closing options, uh, in terms of fantasy. Daniel, are you worried that this is going to become a committee or that Chapman might take this job? What are your thoughts on now the closing situation in Kansas City? Yeah, so Roldis Chapman was so volatile last year. And, I mean, relievers in general are. But I think Scott Barlow has kind of made a name for himself with with Kansas City to the point where, at minimum, I think he's going to be on the strong side of like a closer, uh, like situational uh, situation where they bring in Chapman against lefty-heavy um, lineups, you know, in the ninth inning, and Barlow will get the right-handers, and that's at the wor- the worst-case scenario in my eyes. I don't think you sign a role this Chapman uh, with the intent of having him strictly in the eighth inning, uh, just given his uh, track record and, and body of work. Jason, what about you? Are you uh, worried at all about Barlow's job in Kansas City? Uh, I am only because when you sign a Chapman to a one-year deal, I, I look at this as two ways. One, this is the kind of signing you get when you tell teams they have to spend money. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, hey, look what we did this. And there's no the, the the best case scenario for Kansas City is they they get Chapman, he comes back, uh, and he is you know showing signs of of having some value, and Kansas City can flip him for value. Uh, that to me is the only upside out of this, and and that's why I'm concerned about Barlow because if 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 Chapman shows up and is hitting 100 like they said he was in, in the report, and he's showing command of the pitch, which he didn't show last year, that was the issue. And, you know, if he can show some glimpses of his old stuff, then they're gonna want to give him that late leverage to pump up his value. So that's where I'm concerned about Barlow's uh, value. If anything, if you like Barlow. Uh, coming into the season, it may be a temporary, it may push his value down a little bit more so you can grab him a little later. I still think he's the better long-term play over the course of the season. I don't see Chapman spending the entire year in Kansas City unless he stinks. And if he stinks, then who cares? Uh, but if, if he's doing well, he's going to be gone. Yeah, I wonder if this is uh, like uh, this precedes a uh, trade at some point. Obviously, they want to, re, you know, kind of rehab uh chapman's values so they can flip him on a one-year deal uh for mm-hmm. a team that's not competing but i also wonder are they gonna trade barlow at some point like barlow stock uh would probably get them you know some decent uh prospects uh and there are some teams that are in desperate need 
of some late inning uh, bullpen help. So my biggest concern is, oh, they're bringing in Chapman. Now they're going to trade Barlow. Hasn't happened yet. I'm. I think you operate right now as if Barlow's the dude, uh, but you know, in draft champions, especially, take some calculated gambles on Chapman just in case he does end up getting some saves. Yeah, Barlow is two years removed from free agent. I mean, he's a free agent after the 2024 season. Uh, so mm-hmm. like, this would be the time. Uh, this would be the season. If you're looking to max trade value uh, as a real baseball organization, your your window starts closing 18 months out from that. So if they don't move Barlow by this trade deadline, then the return on investment is will be lower than they want. We're talking about a 30-year-old guy who's turning uh, – he, th- he just turned 30 uh, – we're still in January last month. So he's still on the young end of stuff. So it's not like, you know, they could re extend him if they want, but with reliever volatility, why bother? Yeah. Uh, Tommy Pham signs the deal to go to the New York Mets. Jason, do we care? I always care about Tommy Pham. <laughs> and I would say, that, and the reason I care is because of something our good buddy Eno said. Uh, if you l- listen back to the Rates and Barrels podcast uh, from January 19th, he said he talked to, uh, Tommy Pham and, and Pham recognized if if you know if you've watched Tommy Pham for a while, you know that he uh, tends to have power. He likes hitting the ball to the opposite field gap, uh, and he quickly realized last year that that wasn't going to work out well for him. And uh, so he's he's talked about and you know he's a guy that's in his early thirties and early thirty players tend to become more pull heavy hitters. And now he's looking okay, if the ball's not going to travel well. I may as well stop giving up trying to hit the ball that way and get a more pull happy approach. And so if he can do that and tap into some more home runs or maybe some hidden power there, cause he's done it before he's hitting for uh, he's hit for power before. So there's a possibility he can do it again. If he changes his approach, it could also go terribly for him and he's a quick cut. Uh, but Tommy fam has got a very disciplined eye at the plate. He's one of those, one of uh, one of the better hitters in baseball and doing that. So I'll give him the opportunity to do that. But this signing definitely made me more interested in Tommy Pham than I was when he was hanging around as a free agent. What about you, Daniel? Any interest in Tommy Pham? Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I think even as the fourth outfielder in New York, he's going to hold some kind of value. Um, with Starling Marte and how injury-prone he is, I think Tommy Pham could run into a good amount of play appearances. Even with Starling Marte healthy, I think they didn't sign Pham just to hope he doesn't play. You know, He's, he's going to be in there uh, more frequently than I think a lot of people expect. Because exactly right, he does have the plate discipline to be a really good real-life uh, player. So I think that's going to translate into the fantasy scene pretty well. Yeah, I am I know like Ross Resource has him right now on the short side of platoon. I just don't know that I buy that. Like, I mean, Daniel Vogelbach's a fun little player, but like how do they want him playing regularly as their DH? Um, you know, Mark Canna is okay, but like – I think there's a lot of avenues for Tommy Pham to find playing time in New York. I wish he had picked a, a place where we knew he was going to be an everyday player. But, mm. um, you know, I think this is a fine spot. And if he does become an everyday player, that's a pretty good lineup to be an everyday player in. So I'm a, I've always kind of been a big Tommy fan, uh, fan. Uh, so uh, I don't think that this uh, changes much uh, for me in terms of my thoughts on him. Uh, Yoshi Tetsugo signs a uh, deal to go to the uh, Texas Rangers. Um, I don't believe it is a major league deal. I think this is another one of those minor league deals, but it's a really bad outfield um, right now uh, with a a clear spot uh, open uh, that I think uh, a veteran guy like Tetsugo could uh, kind of claim. Daniel, any interest in Yoshi Tetsugo? No, I'm not interested in Tetsugo at all, but I guess – he takes at bats from uh, a lot of other players that I was interested in for uh, cheap speed, like Bubba Thompson and Leody Tavares. But at the same time, I, I think I'm. <laughs> it's probably just best to stay away out there, even if Sutsugo logs some uh, some DH plate appearances and stuff. I have a feeling Mitch Garver is going to step into that role anyway. What about you, Jason? Care about Sutsugo at all? No, I, I don't. I mean, when you look at Leota Tavares is out of options, uh, and so Texas is really going to want to keep him up at all costs. I agree with the cheap speed on, on Bubba Thompson. It's, I, I look at it, and I remember looking at this earlier this winter, trying to figure out how all of this is going to coexist. Like you've got, you know, at least with Smith and Thompson, you could do a, a platoon-type situation. They're going to want the defense out there, and that's something Susugo is – not going to be able to help far. I agree with the with the possibility of uh, Garver taking that DH, especially coming off the uh, the arm surgery. 
uh, with that possibility. And you know, Brad Miller can play uh, the outfield or he had uh, outfield. He has. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but he could do it. Ezekiel Duran could also get some time in the outfield. So I, you know, Sissogo may, you know, he would take a big camp for him to make this team for me. I just don't see a, a good fit uh, for him in this situation. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. So uh, let's move on. Uh, we'll finish up the kind of news section with Trevor Story, uh, who is going to miss significant time. He said yesterday that he anticipates he will play at some point in 2023. Is there any chance you're drafting him this year, Jason? No, no. Uh, I mean, he's going to miss. Yeah, on a safe, let's say like the safest projection that I've even seen or read has him out until after the All Star break. You know why? Why kill the spot? So like if you know NFBC leagues, you're, are you really going to sit on that? If you're in a uh, redraft, if you're in a standard mixed league, seven bench spots, there's no way. If you're in a draft champion, sure. I think it's about the only format I would even take the chance as a draft champion format because you know eventually you're going to run out of players. Everybody does. Uh, and so if you could take him late, fine. But other than that, I really have a tough time justifying tying up the bench spot uh, on that. If I'm in like my local keeper league, I know that in the you know, keeper league, somebody has him at $34. He's going back. But I certainly want to throw him out there early in the in the draft to get some of those dollars spent because, you know, it, you run that balance like, okay, I don't want him to be a cheap keeper, so we're going to push him up. So somebody's going to end up spending – yeah, a double digit number on him like that. And I'm bringing that up because that's always good strategy in your league. You know, mm -hmm. don't sit on those guys, get them out there. And yeah, somebody else, but somebody else is tied up more. Everybody thinks they're going to get a guy like that for a single digit, but if you can help get him pushed up to a double digit number, yeah, it helps that player next year. But this current year, that's more money than they had budgeted to get that player they were targeting. So yeah, like to play with the rim a little bit, but outside of a draft champion or a keeper or a, a keeper league, I can't justify taking a shot on the story. What about you, Daniel? Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, I, I I guess the report today was encouraging, but at the same time, I think the only format you could really take him is in some kind of best ball league that's extremely deep. Um, he was a guy I was targeting before the injury was pretty much announced. I, I liked him because to me, second base is one of the weaker spots. Um, and I thought he was undervalued at his, his initial ADP, the opening ADP for the season. And yeah, I, I think I just have to be out now. I think I just have to be out. He's, there's just too much risk there. Yeah. The only format that I'm really interested in Trevor story in is, um, a league where you have unlimited IL spots, um, you know, where you can stash him and not worry that a rash of injuries are going to force you to cut him, uh, at some point. Um, and most people just don't play in that format. So, like, for my projections, I literally have him zeroed all the way across the board because I, I don't even there's – a, there's a realistic chance he doesn't play at all this season. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know that you can draft a guy that there's a realistic chance that he doesn't play at all this season because if you have to make any sort of roster decision, whether that's, you know, holding him on your bench or even holding him uh, on your IL when you – potentially could have other injuries coming it's not worth the draft capital so um right. you know unfortunately and i agree with you daniel i was kind of in on the story prior to the injury luckily for me i didn't get him in any drafts uh uh prior to us uh kind of hearing about this injury but um yeah I, he's completely off my board at this point um except for in formats like i said with unlimited il spots yeah all right let's talk about some ut only players uh we're gonna start with Shohei otani who isn't really just a UT only player because he's pitcher eligible um, in some leagues, but in Yahoo, he is UT only, right? He doesn't, he, he's either, he, there's a hitter version and a pitcher version. So they're separated. So I just want to hear what your guys' thoughts on, would you draft Shohei Otani in any format, either or, um, and, uh, would, or, and would you take him at his current cost? Because he is going as kind of a first round pick. Daniel, what are your thoughts on Shohei Otani this year? Yeah, as a, <clears throat> I, I've always liked Otani. I, I mean, it's hard not to. But as a hitter, um, if he's just separated as a hitter, I think it doesn't really shift his his value as much if it's a weekly lineup set. Um, but in a daily, that obviously impacts his value because you're only drafting him as a hitter. Um, I, I think we kind of know what Otani is on a, on a full season basis at this point. 
And I think you can expect somewhere around 30 home runs, somewhere around 15 stolen bases. He's going to bat 250, 260 range. And he's going to hit in a much improved lineup this year with the Angels. They, you know, they added Hunter Renfro, for example. And I think that Jared Walsh is going to come back and actually be something. Um, that's just two guys right there. And they've made some other moves. Taylor Ward's improved. Mike Trout over a full season. Who knows what he can do. But uh, overall, no, I'm still very much in on Shohei Otani. What about you, Jason? Uh, I'm in on him twice. Uh, so I'm picking eighth in two different leagues so far, and I've taken him as my first pick in both leagues. Uh, and I would say how it's impacted the build is that it's, you know, I right now, so in two, in one league, uh, we are into the 15th round and this is the, uh, league Arizona fall league, uh, that Paul's in with me. Uh, and I have three outfielders through 14 rounds, Starling Marte in the sixth. Cody Bellinger in the 12th and Whit Merrifield in the 14th. So that's kind of how that's impacted that because I went with Goldschmidt and Altuve in rounds two and three because I didn't like where the pick, I didn't want to take a closer that early. And then Rodon's my first pitcher only because how things fell. So in that league, it definitely has impacted the outfield build. And then in the other league, I'm in the ninth round and I just took Saya Suzuki as my second outfielder. Um, I also got Mike Trout in the second round. Somehow Trout, I was very happy to take Trout at pick 2.7 in this 15-team league because this league is a little weird. Even though it's a draft champion format, everybody is kind of went with the like the I'm I'm not taking a closer. The first closer in this league didn't go until the fourth round. That never happens in in the NFBC leagues that I'm in. So I've just been zigging while everybody else is zagging uh, in there. And so taking Otani first has made things interesting for in both builds. It's been uh, either take a, a high outfielder or look late uh, in, in things. So it's a little different when you look at that. Cause I keep, you know, you look at, yeah, it's utility spot. Uh, but in both of these formats, it's draft champion, but I didn't, I didn't hesitate taking him in the eighth in either one of those formats. Uh, but it's been, it's been interesting to watch the, how the builds have been different based on what everybody else in the league is doing. But the outfield depth chart uh, has certainly been like, wow. Um, it's you know, you're gonna end up throwing some darts late on on some things, but it's uh, I wouldn't hesitate to take him in the first round. Looking at his ADP, you know he's gone as low as twenty. He's gone as low as twenty six in the draft. Um, I don't know, and that's just draft champions. What I'm looking at here, but he's also gone first overall in a draft champions as well. I'd, I'd be like doing backflips. I got him in the second round of a draft. Um, I, I took him eighth overall in the current draft. I'm in uh, right now. Uh, one, because I just think he is well worth a top 10 spot in terms of, you know, when he's got pitcher and hitter, even in a weekly format league like uh, NFBC. Obviously, like Daniel said, if you're in a daily moves league and he's got both pitcher and hitter, I think he's the number one player in fantasy. I don't think it's particularly close. Um, uh, I think he's in some ways like a cheat code because uh, not only do you get like, uh, all of his stats from both pitching and hitting every day, uh, you also get that extra roster spot. So, like you're you're getting added replacement value uh, from a, from a, from him. So, like in a daily moves league, I don't care what the format is, he's the number one uh, yeah. uh, player on my board. Um, you know, when we're talking about him as just a hitter, I actually really like him as just a hitter. So, if you're playing in Yahoo, like I know some people really really shy away from UT only players because. Uh, they don't like the idea that they can't move around the roster at all. But like he is just a fantastic hitter. And like Daniel mentioned, it's a really, really good lineup this year. Well, it has the makings of a really good lineup. Um, I, I always worry about the injury issues there uh, decimating because we thought it could potentially be yeah, a really on good paper, lineup. It could be a, yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, Daniel brought up a great point. On paper, it looks like a great team uh, yeah. on paper. We if said this last year, though, too, and by the end of it, it was like Luis, Luis uh, Renjifo, um and nobody else, like, you know, left yeah. standing. So, um, you know, I, th I think uh, uh, it, I, I love Otani. I, you know, I think you can make the argument that even in a weekly league where he uh, is a pitcher and a hitter, you can take him as high as one overall. Like, I, I don't have an issue with anybody doing that. Um, so... All right, uh, let's talk about J.D. Martinez, uh, who, uh, you know, had outfield eligibility last year but lost it now, uh, and he probably is not going to be playing any outfield in Los Angeles, so he should be UT only all year. Daniel, are you drafting J.D. Martinez this year? 
Yeah, I like J.D. Martinez just at draft cost. Um, I think he's still got some left in the tank. And I, I know you said that um, you don't anticipate him playing any outfield. And I don't particularly either, but I do think that eventually he could sneak some kind of eligibility in like NFBC where it's 10-game minimum just because the outfield depth in uh, in L.A. is pretty weak. I mean, it's uh, James Outman and Trace Thompson uh, pretty much locking down one spot, and who knows how both of them are going to perform. So I could, I could see, you know, guys shifting in the outfield, Chris Taylor in center field. Gavin Lux has played the outfield also. But um, I think that there's an outside chance that he does sneak outfield eligibility, and that obviously makes him more, more valuable in fantasy. Jason? Yeah, he. I agree with Daniel. He could probably sneak in, uh, depending on your uh, requirements in your league. Like one game, sure, that's going to happen. Five game, possibly. You know, when I look at what he could produce fantasy wise, yeah, I would say you know split the difference between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. As as try to say, okay, that's what he should do. And then like when you stare at where the projections are, that's pretty much what the bat and ATC and ste- steamers on the low end. Uh, with him, but the bat X and uh, bat and, and ATC are pretty much that split the difference uh, type of situation with him. It's, you know, with him, it always comes down to the back. How's the back feeling? Because back spasms have always been there uh, for him, and they tend to flare up at the worst time, right? When he's getting hot, boom, there it goes, and they, and they flop out. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think his job is there to to keep Otani's spot warm for next season. I mean, he's on a one year deal, uh, and he's. I think that's what is that's what his. Uh, main responsibility is for that roster, but this is a really nice landing spot for him because if he can, you know, still have the RBI production, it's just not going to be, you know, peak JD Martinez where he was enjoying at Fenway. It's just a different situation. So I would say, you know, if you're looking for low twenties home runs, 70, 80 RBIs, decent above, it'd be above league batting average. He can still do that. Then that's fine. Uh, you know, when you look at where he's going, ADP wise, two twenty nine. Uh, right now, so you know he's gone as high as 150. I question that uh, because, as we said with Otani, it's one thing to draft utility, you know, at first overall. But if by the time you make the decision to take JD Martinez here, you're like, okay, the rest of the draft is getting really tough to move some stuff around. You don't mind doing it for a, a, a wonder kind talent like a, or a unicorn like Otani, but for JD Martinez, you're taking on that risk and you're taking on that inflexibility for the time being on your roster, which makes it a little tougher to, uh, to reach if you wanted to reach him and you believe in it. Yeah. And I think the hard part too, with Martinez is one, the bat was slower. Like, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about that. He just, he does not have the same uh, bat speed that he, that he once did. I mean, you expect that from a guy who's, you know, at the age that he is. Uh, but that being said, like, there are other UT only guys that I actually kind of like a little bit later on. And if you draft him, you're passing up on a, on much cheaper options that I find really intriguing. And so, uh, while I'm definitely, he's not off my board. I don't think I'm going to have a lot of shares of JT, JD Martinez this year, because, uh, there are other guys like Nelson Cruz who isn't on the list today. Cause we just talked about him, uh, when he signed, um, you know, that are going much, yeah. much later. Um, he went uh, in the aforementioned AFL league that Paul and I are in. Uh, Martinez went two eleventh to Ryan Bloomfield uh, to start the kickoff the fifteenth round. That's a pretty that's nice price. price. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, nice price. I don't, that's I don't. absolutely fine. But he went in the fifteenth round, and, and at this point, you no, know, he already has. Uh, he's got five pitchers. He's got three outfielders, and he's got some of the other positions addressed. He's got his. He's got his shortstop. He's got a second baseman. He has a first baseman. Um, he has neglected third base, but he's also got Perez a catcher. So, like in this particular build, uh, eventually he's going to get a third baseman. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, but he's going to get one eventually. <laughs> yeah, he went in like kind of the the near the top of the thirteenth round in the league that I'm currently uh, in. So, which I, I think is a fine price as well. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be jumping for joy for it, but I also uh, I don't mind it at all. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about two young catchers in Shea Langoliers and Francisco Alvarez. Now, in some formats, Yahoo, I think uh, specifically, they may have outf- or, uh, catcher eligibility, but in leagues where the 20-game minimums um, is the eligibility requirement, they are going to both start the year as UT-only players. So, Daniel, any interest in drafting Shea Langoliers and uh, Francisco Alvarez in leagues where they're starting the year with no catcher eligibility. Yeah, definitely. So 
I have done uh, three cut line NFBC drafts over the past week, and I have two shares of uh, Shailene Lears and one of Francisco Alvarez, who I got a great deal past ADP. Um, I'm particularly interested in Ling Lears because he's going to open the season likely on the strong side of a catching platoon of some sort. Um, and the thing with him too, is that the A's use uh, Sean Murphy, 150 games last year. I think it was 148 games. Mm -hmm. So they're open to playing Shay Ling Lears a decent amount. He's so good defensively that I don't think they're going to want to take him off the field behind the plate. Um, it's going to be at the expense of average, but he does carry, you know, a decent amount of power. Francisco Alvarez is a little bit different because they brought in Omar Narvaez, who's, you know, he's a veteran catcher. Not not the highest on Narvaez personally, but I see what the move is. They've already said that Alvarez isn't going to break camp. So you're, you know, you're risking a little bit of a plate appearance thing there with him in a uh, if you're actually drafting him in a redraft. But I'm definitely interested in Ling Lears. What about you, Jason? Yeah, the risk the risk with Alvarez, I mean, Alvarez is absolutely the future, but the risk is, you know, he did struggle to hit, he did struggle to hit for uh, average in AAA, but he was just absolutely destroying AA, um, struggled a bit and AAA, but he is the future, uh, but that future is not uh, whatever the first date of the season is, March 31st, I think, this year. Uh, so that future is not that date. Uh, you know, with, uh, with utility only, that means they're going in the reserves. Uh, I, I don't see the need to take the chance to take them in a you know you know standard uh, online you know online championship. Why take why burn the utility spot on a catcher? You can take them in the reserve round. Of the two, I would take my you know Alvarez has got more fantasy upside, and that's what you're trying to chase in the reserve. So I would take Alvarez, even though I agree with Daniel that Langoliers is going to get more production or more playing time rather. I don't know if he's going to produce in it, but he should get more playing time. Uh, and you know, outside of, uh, you know, you look at that lineup and you're trying to figure out who's going to drive in runs. I mean, Seth Brown is there, you know, Aledmus Diaz, like Jace, I joke when Jace Peterson signed there, he could end up being their cleanup hitter, right? Langoliers could end up driving in if he stayed on the field. He's, somebody has to drive in runs. So he may do that. But, you know, in the reserves, I'm looking for upside. I want Alvarez. That said, Langoliers should lead this duo in plate appearances by a good margin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we just saw Sean Murphy get the like 600 plate appearances in Oakland because they DH'd him. Um, right. I think they could do the same thing, or a very similar thing with Langoliers where he becomes like top five or six uh, catcher in terms of plate appearances in baseball. Um, that is a gamble I'm willing to kind of take a shot on. Uh, Alvarez, I really like as a long-term prospect. Oh yeah, uh, but he's kind of blocked right now. Um, yeah, Nido's out, or Nido's out of options, uh, and, and, and they just they just extended Nido as well. Um, so like they're and they 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 brought in Omar Navarez. Um, I have a big fear that Alvarez isn't going to be up for a while, and I don't want to hold a catcher that not only isn't going to be up for a while on my roster, but once he gets up, he then has to earn catcher eligibility. And now there's two catchers on the roster, which is going to make it harder for him to get every, he may play a lot at DH, yeah. which is fine. But uh, once he's up, but it, he may not get catcher eligibility until the all-star break. And sure. for all the other that factors, reason, yeah. I'm out. Well, now that we've seen Gabriel Moreno being traded, there's you know the possibility they trade Alvarez. I mean, I don't think you know, this time last year, I don't think any of us saw Moreno being dealt. Mm -hmm. uh, but there it happens, uh, and it went. So perhaps with the conditions you just said, they brought in Narvaez. They just extended uh, Nito, Nido. I want to say Nito. Um, Nito. But anyhow, you know, maybe you know perhaps they do a deal there and and they move Alvarez. Uh, because look what look what Moreno and Package got. You know they were able to get Varsho out of uh, Guriel Jr. and uh, and Moreno. So if they could package Alvarez up with something, perhaps that you know that works out in that capacity. So I only bring that up for you. You know you and I'll only keeper leaguers. You know, mm. you know normally it's like pitching prospects or lottery tickets. Don't you know, don't fall in love with them. Um, I would have said, you know, this time last year, I can't imagine a, an organization trading such a highly regarded catcher, yet there went Moreno. So I wouldn't rule that out with Alvarez, given the conditions you outlined. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Mitch Garver, who we kind of briefly mentioned a little while ago. 
Uh, he is going to start the year again. He is the backup catcher in uh, Texas. He's going to start the year with UT only. Are you drafting Mitch Garver, Jason? And under the same conditions, I don't know. I don't know when he's going to get the catcher eligibility, though. I mean, coming off the arm, sir, he may not catch, um, but he he can hit enough where he maybe doesn't need to uh, with that. So in the reserves, I could see prioritizing him uh, as a uh, as a reserve pick just for the power upside um, in that regard if he plays that position full time. Uh, so that's why I'd be looking at him uh, in a because when you're talking reserve picks for a guy that has hit 30 home runs previously and still has the juice to hit 20 plus, you're not going to find too many of those guys left hanging around in the reserves. What about you, Daniel? Yeah, I'm in on Garver. At, I just said an ADP. Uh, I mean, he's this month in January, it's 456 on NFBC. I think that's a pretty reasonable price to take with the power upside. Um, like I said earlier, I think that he's going to really implant himself in that DH role uh, full time in Texas. I think it's a great. I think it's a great landing spot. The lineup isn't half half bad. I will say. I guess it's it's pretty mediocre. But if he can DH full time, I think that's so important for his health um, as as the season progresses. So he's a guy I'm definitely got. I've definitely got my eye on and have targeted in the past. Yeah, I think uh, what I said about Alvarez applies a little bit to Garver, where I just I don't like rostering three catchers uh, now. I think the exception and what makes him a little different than Alvarez is he's going to be on the major league roster and um, he should be able to get catcher eligibility probably before, maybe not as quickly as Langoliers. Langoliers, I think he's going to get it so quickly. I'm, I'm not super worried about rostering that third catcher uh, for, you know, two weeks until Langoliers. I want to see if he can throw though. You know, he wasn't exactly the best thrower before the injury. Uh, and then he went down and yeah, the surgery he had was a flexor tendon on his throwing arm. Uh, and, and let's not forget that Texas was like the worst team controlling the running game last year. Their their catcher battery between Jonah Hine uh, and Garber when he was back there, and I'm drawing blank on on Sam the, Huff. Sam, Sam Huff. Huff was even worse. Sam Huff was the worst of the trio. Uh, but that that trio of catchers did a terrible job in doing that. So that's one of the things I'm actually a bit worried about with Texas pitching staff as a whole, with the changes we have with the running game this year. Uh, and they're bringing back the same group that struggled last year. How are those pitchers going to adjust now that they can't throw over as often? They've got to be quicker to the plate. How's that going to happen? Because, you know, you could pretty much, if you were in DFS last year, you were able to set your daily lineup. You're like, oh, who's Texas got? Boom, I'm going there. That's who I'm going to put out there. Uh, and so uh, I, I, that's one of those situations I want to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, and <clears> – <throat> You know, there were plenty of times last year, even prior to uh, Huff, uh, or sorry, prior to Garver getting hurt, uh, where they they rostered three catchers uh, yeah. because they didn't want him behind the plate. So, are they going to want him behind the plate uh, a ton this year? I don't know. Um, seems super unlikely. Again, that I'm going to end up with Garver. He's not off my board. Uh, but uh, definitely seems unlikely. But Heim was, I mean, Heim was hitting well. Huff has got Huff's got good power upside. Uh, so, I mean, all three of these guys have offensive upside, uh, but the defensive limitations, it's like a catching by committee only because not none of them stand out from the group behind the plate. So they just try to do do the best they can with what they have. If anybody uh, needs like an Alvarez trade, there, there you go. They could use Alvarez behind the plate. Yeah, I just don't think they want to give up what the Mets probably want in return yeah. for Alvarez. So. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Matt Carpenter, uh, who had a, a you know a huge year last year uh, prior to getting injured, um, is now uh, in San Diego. Daniel, what are your thoughts on Matt Carpenter for this year? Honestly, I have no idea how to feel about Matt Carpenter. I think he's going to get a decent amount of playing time. I saw on roster resource that he is projected to be on the strong side of a platoon in left field. Uh, which I find pretty interesting because I would think that he'd probably see time as the DH, but then they went and ahead and signed Nelson Cruz. So I'm not too sure. I, I think the power's definitely a uh, aberration last year, what you saw in uh, in Yankee Stadium. Um, and he's moving to a park that isn't as favorable in Petco. So I don't know. I think I think that late, there's probably guys I'd rather uh, chase better upside with than uh, an aging Matt Carpenter. What about you, Jason? 
Yeah, not a fan uh, here because in, they only have him the short side of the left field platoon right now until they can get Fernando Tatis off suspension. Uh, and then that moves some things around. But if uh, yeah, I, don't, I haven't listened to what you guys said yet about Nelson Cruz, but I'd love the landing spot for him I mean, at the million dollars. Forget it. I mean, it's a nice. He's a nice deflector shield for when Tatis comes back and gets all the crap given that uh, Cruz has been there, done that. Uh, but I, you know, with the eye, I think we even talked about this last week, uh, Justin, about the eye surgery that he had, and it just kind of validated people's concerns about uh, what happened after he got traded from Minnesota to Tampa Bay. But if there's anything left in Cruz's, and he uses the uh, the World Baseball Classic to show he's got something left. Carpenter gets marginalized. I mean, he clearly came to New York last year, took a look at the 300 foot. No, I'm sorry, three, did I say 300? I mean, 200 foot right field fence <laughs> and said, I'm yanking. And I mean, look at the pull chart. Everything was that direction. And he went real pull happy and leaned into it. And so you look at it, and it was like, that was fun. But now that you're not there anymore, I'm not as in on you uh, with that. So, no, I, I think if, if Cruz is able to bounce back like my heart wants him to, Carpenter's gone. He's marginalized and, and he's going to be a bench bat and have no fantasy relevance. Uh, but if Cruz is not, that keeps Carpenter in play. It's just you can't look at last year's numbers and just like project the playing time and be like, oh, he's going to be able to do 80, 85, 90 percent of that. It's just that was very, very ballpark driven. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think Carpenter likely just becomes a super utility guy once uh, Tatis is back where he's just you know, he probably plays three or four days a week, um, but it's at a different position every day, which is going to mean it's going to be much more difficult for him to pick up eligibility elsewhere. Now, he might be able to pick up outfield eligibility in the time that Tatis is suspended. So, uh, you know, he's suspended for, I think, the first 20 games of the season. So that gives him, you know, plenty of time to get 10 games in the outfield. Uh, but I don't know. I just I, I worry that it's going to be really hard for Matt Carpenter to even get to like 350 or 400 plate appearances. And, and you know, it's, it's gotta be a pretty damn deep league for me to care about a player that I doesn't, that I don't really think can get to 400 plate appearances. So. Yeah, um, you only you NL only folks. You know, I, I, no, I'm not even an NL only league anymore. So somebody's going to have to roster him. Uh, and those. Yeah. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug your work. I, I <laughs> no, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Dan J. Preciado. Jason, uh, what do you got going on and where can people reach you? So I uh, am into the bold prediction series. I, I published the American league East one last week. The NL East one will be going up uh, either Monday or Tuesday uh, with that. And so the, the names I have in that bold prediction as a, as a preview, Michael Harris, second, Dylan Lee, Jorge Soler, Braxton Garrett, Tommy Pham, Adam Onovino, Corey Dickerson, Hunter Harvey, Bryson Stott, and Christopher Sanchez. So you can get my thoughts and all that. Um, if you do not have a RotoWire subscription, Damn you. Uh, but if you want to try it, rotowire.com forward slash try 10 day free trial, go in, look at it um, and get signed up for the season uh, because there are great, there are many great things. I don't think there's any one fantasy player that uses one sole source for anything. Uh, I, I love using a portfolio of stuff. I use the tools of fan graphs. I use the tools uh, at rotowire. I use the tools of baseball HQ. I like multiple inputs, but it's up to my brain to decide what I'm going to do with those inputs. And so I always encourage people look at a variety of inputs um, before you make your decisions. Uh, and don't ask people to make decisions for you uh, with that. Uh, and then I am in uh, New Orleans this week. I have a conference Monday through Thursday. So uh, I'm going to be a little quiet uh, on anywhere because I'm going to be busy. But if you happen to be in New Orleans um, and at FETC conference, come by and say hi. Uh, I did have somebody last year at a conference come by and say hi at the booth because they heard it on the podcast. And we're like, oh, you're going to be there. So uh, I am saying that again. If you're If you're in New Orleans, come by and say hi. And you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB, writing daily at Fangraphs, um, doing these 30 team preview uh, series on the French Fantasy Benefits podcast feed uh, in 30 days. And I'm really looking forward to that being over because recording every single day has <laughs> been, uh, been trying on top of all my other responsibilities. Um, yeah, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. For Daniel, Jason, myself, thanks for listening. A fantastic baseball offseason. 